welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And this segment of the podcast we call Theology for Everyone, and it is just that. We are working through the Westminster Confession of Faith, a small, historical, systematic theology, and we're breaking it down in a way um, that hopefully everyone who listens can understand. That's our goal. We want the the, the great theology of um, scholars and pastors of the past to be accessible to everyday people. And so we've been working through this for about a year and a half. We're getting close to the end. We are at chapter 27 today on the sacraments. But before we jump in, uh, gentlemen on the podcast, would you introduce yourself? How's it going, guys? I'm Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. Kevin Knorr, pastoral assistant. And Rob Spikes, pastor of discipleship. All right. It's nice to have Tate back from his sabbatical. I mean, his... Uh, <laughs> vacation, vacation, man. Vacation. <laughs> we missed you, man. Thank we you, We were man, envious dude. of you. Let's okay. just put it that yeah. way. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we were all exhausted. Well, you didn't hear probably listen to the podcast yet because the prize that came out, but we were, we were capping on you a little bit. So. <laughs> I'm just trying to get that month like Justin. It's coming up. <laughs> yeah. we, were, uh, we were all tired after Easter. And then you were all off, and we were like, the one guy who didn't do anything at Easter, hey, and he takes the week I put off. my time in that youth, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, man. Uh, congrats on the uh, yeah. the interview on the news. Oh, yeah. Thank, cool. you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> all right. So we're in chapter 27 of the sacraments. And just to kind of let everybody know, this chapter is kind of a brief overview of the sacraments of the Christian church, and then... We, we handle them individually next. So I think they talk about baptism in the next chapter and then the Lord's Supper in the chapter after that. So uh, we will be going deeper into these um, topics than we are today. Kevin, what's our goal today? Are we trying to get all through all five? Uh, I was just planning on one and two. Oh, one and two. Okay, we good. Do as much as you want, though. Set the bar low for us, Kevin. I appreciate that. <laughs> Tate's back, you know, just easing back in. There you go, my man. I like that, Kev. <laughs> okay, Kevin, since you are back as well, uh, you want to read the, You want to read them for us? You bet. Cool. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and His benefits, and to confirm our interest in Him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ, according to His Word. Okay. <clears throat> now we want to spend some time breaking this down a little bit, because um, unless you come from a more um, reformed tradition, most people that I and, and pe- that we pastor, that I talk to, they, they don't really have a very deep understanding of what the sacraments are. Um, they, most of them, especially if they come from a more kind of I hate to say it like this, guys, but an evangelifish type of church that's just kind of not really rooted in any historic denomination, or they're just kind of non-denominational, and maybe you know, maybe sometimes they only practice the the you know Lord's Supper once a month or something like that, and they just haven't had had much teaching on it. They really think that the sacraments are just something we do. They're, mm. they're just a teaching moment. It's it's not doesn't have any real substance. They don't really know what what they're for, <clears throat> and so we want to spend some time breaking these down. Now, right away in this first part of the sentence, <clears throat> we're encountered with a 
a statement that many of us might go right past, but it's really important we drill down into. It says, sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. That is incredibly important for us to spend some time talking about. <clears throat> we need to talk about three things. Signs, seals, and the covenant of grace. Okay? So first, let's talk about the covenant of grace. <clears throat> Reformed theologians understand the scriptures and understand that God always, God is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. And he always relates to his people through covenant. Okay. <clears throat> so when he told Adam and Eve, basically when he told Adam and Eve of any tree in the garden, you can eat, you can do anything you want to do. Mm -hmm. Just don't eat from one of these trees. Mm -hmm. God was instituting there a covenant of works, right? It was still a gracious covenant in one sense because God came to them and God made them and God gave them all that, you know, their existence and he is their creator and he is their sustainer. So they still couldn't act without his grace, right? right. <clears throat> but it was a covenant of works. Uh, you can do whatever you want. Just don't eat this. If you eat this, you're surely going to die, right? And long story short, they disobey. And when they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, <clears throat> they don't immediately die. And so um, immediately we see here that God was doing something unique in this situation. Because if God was only just, he would have annihilated them. But yeah. if he would have annihilated them and destroyed them right there, basically the devil wins. The devil gets what he wants. So God has a better plan, and that is to, um, he still has to judge them, but he starts to, he makes a new covenant with them, a covenant of grace, where now there's going to be this constant battle between Satan and him, but between Satan and their seed, or the holy seed and, and, and this, basically the seed of Satan. So um, there's going to be this battle between man and woman, battle between in their self, battle between us and sin. But he promises in the, in the famous passage that we call the Proto-Evangelion, the, the, the first ever gospel, that there will, be come, there will come a man from Adam and Eve's line who will crush the head of the serpent, and yet his heel will be bruised mm -hmm. by that, that serpent, right? And we know that's pointing all the way forward to Jesus Christ. Now, that covenant of grace had different uh, manifestations or dispensations. And it would, and it, we would say it like this, it built on, it kind of started as a seed and then it grew up, okay? So we believe <clears throat> that God has only a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. But that covenant, it, first, it look, first time they talk about it in scripture blatantly, it's with Noah, right? You see, God makes a covenant with Noah, and then God makes a covenant with Abraham, and then God makes a covenant with David, and, and you see this, these covenants. Now, some people believe that that you know those covenants were all their own thing, and they're not part of they're not part of the covenant of grace, and they make a hard and fast uh, 
line between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or even the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and so the word, what's the word, but, you know, um, continuity and discontinuity, those are the two words that I'm looking for, the continuity and the discontinuity between each covenant. Well, we believe that God's covenant of grace has continually outworked to the new covenant. And it is new and it does have better promises, but it's still the it's still the covenant of grace, right? It's not something totally cut off from the from all of the old old covenant, from all the old covenant. And that that's important to understand because of what 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 is this thing doing? What is it we're going to get into now? What is well, two reasons it's important to understand that. What is it doing? It's a sign and a seal. And then secondly, who can partake of it? Because if it, if we go if we think there's a hard and fast line cut between the Old and, and New Testament, right? Then in the New Testament, we really we never see any kids getting baptized or any kids taking communion, right? So so we only have a New Testament text. But if we believe that that the signs and the seals have there's always been signs and seals of a covenant of grace. So just to clarify anything, a covenant is a is a is an oath from God, sovereignly administered with blessings for obedience, um, punishments for curses, and then some kind of ritual, some kind of sign or seal, right? Some kind of sign or seal. So if we believe that there's continuity between the, all the covenants, then let's just, well, we can just mention briefly here, the children of the old covenant had a sign and seal of circumcision. And so that was on, that was for not just the, not just for the parents, but that was for their kids as well. So a believing parent had to be circumcised, but they also had to circumcise their child, right? And so if we see the continuity between all these covenants, then we'll see once we get to the new covenant and we have a couple of quote unquote new signs and seals, we would naturally assume that those would be for us and for our children because the old sign and seals were for the children as well. Okay. So that was a lot of me talking about the the covenant of grace. Rob, do you want to talk about the sign and the seal? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I, I do want to make, a, I think it's, it's important that we define what a covenant is only because we're not used to a covenant within our culture. It's very, it's, it's just not something that we throw around a lot. And I think it's important to kind of just understand that this is what we're most used to is a contract, right? A contract is, is where you, one party agrees to doing, do something or kind of some kind of service or provide some kind of product. The other side of the contract will pay you for that. If you fail on yours, then I don't have to do my thing. Or if I fail on mine, you don't have to do your thing. Mm. But with a covenant, it's different. It's two, it's, it's two mutual parties coming together, but it does not depend upon the fulfillment of the other party for that, co that, that covenant to be kind of to be worked out. And so that's the reason that's important for us is because... Um, well, well yeah. let me... So to be initiated. Yes, yes. To be initiated. So God, Thank you. God is... He's fulfilling both sides of the covenant. He's giving us everything we need to obey it. And he's and he's he's committing himself to it, yes. and so it's all grace all the time. But once the covenant is initiated, now God has given us what we would say is God has given us the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to enable our obedience. So now 
we we do need to obey. Not that God will cut us out of the covenant, right. but the covenant comes with blessings and curses for o- obedience. Yes, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, good. And that's gr- that's a great clarification. And, and what's, what's amazing about this covenant of grace is that, as you pointed out earlier, and I think it's important to re- keep you know, kind of re- re-emphasizing is that this was a sovereign decision of of God that He would be the one who He He initiated that covenant. It's a unilateral uh, covenant in the sense that He does ultimately fulfill both aspects mm-hmm. of it on our behalf. Um, so it's something that our obedience or disobedience doesn't cut us out of that covenant. In other words, it it is an everlasting covenant. When He calls us into this relationship with Him, into this covenant with Him, uh, my my it's not dependent upon my obedience or my performances any longer. Now my enjoyment of that covenant, my enjoyment of this relationship is dependent upon my obedience or disobedience. Mm. But but the beauty of this is, and I think the thing that keeps us solid in in a in a in a, in a, in a body of flesh that seems to keep wanting to prone to wander as we sing <laughs> or in a world that is constantly coming against me is that none of that can keep me from this covenantal relationship that we have so um that in itself the covenant in itself is just such a um a, a peace, uh, a calm for our hearts and our lives as we're kind of carrying forth this walking it out in, within within our lives. Now, let's go to the, yeah, so we'll yeah. go to the sign. Yeah, now I will. Signs <laughs> signs and seals. So yeah. the, the sign is exactly what a sign does. And the sign is it's pointing. It's, uh, it's, it's making known something that uh, would be unknown apart from, you know, seeing that sign. So the sign is helping us to make known of something about, what God has done for us in, within the covenant, covenant of grace. Yeah, within yeah. the covenant of grace. So the sign itself reveals something about the covenant of grace. So with um, the sign of circumcision, that reveals a, a couple things. That reveals that your fl- your as your flesh gets cut away, so will your heart of stone be cut away. In the in, in the covenant, right? So where your sins will be removed from you, mm-hmm. in the in the covenant. Um, but it but so remember it comes with blessings and and promises, right? So, but so that's the sign. It signifies something <coughs> about um, about what the covenant of grace has done. Yeah. So we have baptism. You go in the water. You come out. It symbolizes a washing, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It symbolizes a rather a resurrection. You die and you you come up. So that that's what it points to. A sign and a seal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is a seal? Yeah, yeah. So the, the seal is really it's a guarantee, if you will. It's 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 give it gives some sense of yeah, this is a guaranteed reality of you of your life. Now it's not for the one who's making the covenant, God. He doesn't need to be you know we he doesn't need that. It's for us who are receiving. For us receiving the sacrament, it becomes a guarantee for us. It, be, it it becomes it feeds in a sense our soul that every time that we participate, for instance, in the Lord's Supper, every time we participate in that, it's a reminder again and again and again that that this is true. That what that what I am enjoying right now in in course in, in the sacrament is it is true in terms of what Christ has done for me. That He gave His body, He shed His blood on on for the forgiveness of my sins, and so it continues to be something for us. It's a it's a uh, a seal for in the in, in baptism. It is again. It's for those who are being baptized. It's a seal for them to know that this is this is is this is true of you spiritually of what you're doing here 
physically. And even even though we only baptize once, you know, you only have to be baptized once, uh, for us who are watching and participating in that as a community, it, it, it's again, it's a reminder to us. What So what what our initial reaction is when somebody comes for, let's say, for instance, when they credo baptism or they come out of the water, what do we want to do? We just all want to cheer. Because <laughs> yeah. it's reminding us all of what has happened to us, and that is we've been cleansed, we've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. So our just natural reaction is to cheer, you know, that yep. moment, or or even to, even with a baby, you know, we we're, we're thrilled for the for the life of this little one that has come into the covenant family and going to enjoy the the blessings of being part of the covenant family. So yeah, yeah. So it seals. Like a king would, you know, use his ring and and write a letter and then and then put his his seal or his crest on that letter, yeah. it it seals what what has been signed, what the sign pointed to about the the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. So, this is not only a sign that points to some reality, but this is for you. Mm-hmm. This is for you. Yeah. So when it comes to baptism and we're baptizing a baby, we are <clears throat> the sign is that. This this is for believers and their children. This promise is for you and and your children, yeah. and that we believe that our God is a covenant keeping God, and He wants to bless and He wants to have people to a thousand generations. He says He wants to bless yeah. the faithfulness to a thousand generations, yeah. and so it's a sign that this child is washed in the blood of Jesus. We could say right, and it seals it seals that that reality to them. Now, what what it does for parents is as we're raising our child, we can if our child is doubting their salvation or doubting if they're really forgiven or not, we can say you were baptized. Mm-hmm. You were washed, right? Have and you have faith. This is a, a reality that that that's in your life. So it's a sign that points to something and we would say since it's New Testament, something Jesus has done for us in the covenant of grace. And it's a seal that seals that sign to that specific person. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. All right. So it's sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. We got a text for that, Kevin? Yeah, we have uh, Romans 4 here. He received his sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that had by faith why he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them all. Okay, so circumcision was given to Abraham, even though Abraham wasn't himself circumcised, to circumcise his children as an act of faith, okay? And that signified and sealed their um, the sign of the covenant, Mm -hmm. okay? That they are set apart. They're different. Oh, we're about to get to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on there. Well, let me let yeah. me can I, can I just yep. just add one more thing? And I think this is something just to we could we could just give God thanks for this what what God has given to us in the sacraments. In that He knows what we are made of, and we're not just spiritual beings; we're physical beings. And I just think the beauty and the goodness and the kindness of God that He knew we would need something like this that we could. We could see, we could feel, we could smell, you know, all of these things. So we're, we're embodied souls that need these kind of things to help us to continue to walk with him. And I just, yeah. I just see the sacraments as such a good, kind gift from our God that he would, he would, he knows who we are and we needed these things. So yes. yeah, so yep. there you go. Yep. That's good. We don't have an esoteric spiritual religion that w- this, right. we have a real earthy 
religion. It's good. Okay, immediately instituted by God. Again, this is a, a covenant we said is sovereignly administered. It's, mm. it's um, God is the one that, that's taken the initiation. We have a text for that? Yeah, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so that is the Lord's Supper, Jesus instituting that there. We see he's the one um, who instituted these sacraments. Okay, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits. So this is the fulfillment of the covenant of grace. Began in the garden, but it's it, it finishes with Jesus Christ. To represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him. What text do we have for that? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five and 26. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay. So, the Lord's Supper represents many things. It represents Jesus. It represents, represents his blessings and his benefits to us. Mm-hmm. The, the, the blessings. So in the covenant, there's blessings for obedience and there's curses for disobedience. Okay. When we are obeying Christ and we're following Jesus and we're confessing our sins and we're, and we're, we're staying in fellowship and we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, that we're receiving blessings and benefits from, from him. Mm. We're being, like you said, we're, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. That's one thing that's happening. So we're, we're through a bodily act, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're proclaiming the gospel, we could say. His death, his resurrection, the whole deal. We are partaking of it, eating of it, saying it was for us. The benefits of Christ's salvific life and death and resurrection mm. are for me. So I, I am reminding myself by eating of this, that I am one of the elect, that I am in Christ's family, that I'm a part of Christ's body, that he's feeding me. Remember, we, we don't have internal life unless we eat of him. We're eating of Christ there. I'm, I'm learning all of these blessings when I'm taking the Lord's Supper. And I'm looking around and saying, and this is my family. Mm. And we are eating together. And the Lord has been faithful. He brought us all here. He fed us once again. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> But you can see why it's so important that we are weekly gathering together and being reminded of this truth, you know, so, so to miss this, you know, and I, you know, there's day, there's just times when you do, you miss Sunday and, and I, I so, I so much miss this part of the, the services of just being reminded again through the Lord's Supper of, uh, of, of this reality what, yep. that we're talking about. Yep. <clears throat> and to confirm our interest in him. So it's also meant to just say, Hey, we want to be in Christ. <laughs> like, like we, we want to be in the covenant, right? So we're, we're, we're actively here because we want to be in, right? Yeah. And as also, here's an interesting point, to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world. What text do we have for that? We got Exodus 12. If a stranger shall sojourner with you, and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, 
but no un- uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Hmm. So this is the Passover celebration, mm-hmm. and no uncircumcised person could eat of it. Any outsider that wanted to come in, we've been t- we talked about this a little bit this week in Ezra chapter eight. God has always had a mission for the nations, but the nations, in order to become a part of Israel, had to convert. They had to worship Yahweh. They could not come in as a Moabite. They could not come in as a Canaanite worshiping those gods. They had to convert first. And so God said, all the males need to be circumcised. And if you want to partake of the Passover, then, <clears throat> then you've got you to get, get circumcised. And this was to me- meant to show the difference between insiders and outsiders, between and New Testament context, between the body of Christ and and the enemies of the cross. Mm. And so every single Christian is meant to be baptized and is meant to be coming to the Lord's table on a on a Sunday on a Sunday and confessing and repenting their sin and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And that is meant to be a visible sign that you are in Christ, yeah. that you are a Christian. And that there's a difference between you and the world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, also, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Mm-hmm. What text do we have there? Romans 6, 3, and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, one of the realities when we are baptized in, into Christ is that we become a minister. Mm-hmm. We become a missionary. We become a, a servant, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we, we could go into all the ways that we are to, you know, proclaim the Word of God and we're to teach people the Word of God and we're to be hospitable to our neighbors and serve and love. One of the ways that we are to serve Jesus and proclaim his gospel is by being baptized when, we, when we're coming to faith or baptizing our children and eating the Lord's Supper. Because eating the Lord's Supper, it says it's proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So just by being in the service and partaking in the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming declaring mm-hmm. the gospel. Yeah. That's an act of faith that you're doing. That yeah. people who are not baptized or people who have not are not Christian and have not are not taking communion, they're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Look at this, this that's a person of faith. They really believe this, mm-hmm. right? The body that was broken for them, the blood that was shed for them. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're when we're doing that, we're actually so that's an act, that's an act of faith that we're doing mm-hmm. when we're taking communion. Isn't it? It's funny when you think about it, and uh, we're so used to it now that we do it. You know, obviously, Lord's Supper we do every week, and and then with uh, you know periodically we're doing the, the uh, baptism. It, it seems so normal to us, but <laughs> yeah. if you're someone who's not used to this, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. both with baptism, especially with baptism. I mean, who who has a you know a right where you go and you know you you put somebody underwater in front of everybody and. <laughs> I mean, you start thinking about it from someone who maybe has never, you know, participated in this. It would seem a little bit like, what are they doing? What's going yeah. on here? It, it creates the, the the good kind of questions yeah. that were. <laughs> and it's so crazy that you say that because uh, it's, it was weird one Sunday that I'm not for sure. My wife was running late or something. She was just like, ah, I'm just going to bring Quincy in with us, you know, um, for service. And we all get up to, um, you know, um, 
take the Lord's um, supper and you know and do all that. And as we as we're walking, Quincy's like, "Oh, whoa, why can't I go up there?" You know, uh, I, I'm a believer. Like I've been baptized. You uh, know, why can't I go up there? So then, of course, afterwards we got to explain to him and walk him through the process. And we're cool. like, "All right, well, now you can go up with uh, Pastor Rob and do your confession of faith, and yeah. you know, and then we'll start the process." So. He was all excited about it, but before he he never knew. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's great. That's, cool. that's good stuff. <clears throat> all right, <clears throat> Article Two. Kevin, you want to read it? You bet. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified. Whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. Okay. All right. This is t- some tough language here. <clears throat> there is in every sacrament. So first off, we let's just say right away, there are only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Catholic Church actually teaches seven, uh, but, but that's not biblical. We believe two uh, that, that Jesus gave us. So in every sacrament, every sacrament, a spiritual relation or sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified. So there is something real going on Mm. in baptism. Mm -hmm. It's not just a sign. There is a spiritual relation to being cleansed and forgiven and made new, okay? There is a sacramental union between feasting on the body and the blood of Christ and proclaiming, Proclaiming the Lord's death until we return and feasting on Christ and being fed, fed Christ, being nourished by Christ. Um, now, reformers have differed on exactly what's going on, and we're going to get into that. Um, I lean towards more towards um, the way that John Calvin taught it, and that Christ is spiritually present mm-hmm. in in the, in the, in the meal, in the supper, right? Or Christ is spiritually present there. Um, so there's some, there's something, this isn't just a sign. There's something real going on in both of these things. Okay. Baptism doesn't save us as a work, but there's something in it that does save us because I think, was it Peter that literally says Mm -hmm. baptism saves you, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So there's something in it that is doing something. Mm -hmm something spiritually uh, real or a sacramental connection or union between the sign and the thing signified. Mm -hmm. And that's because God is the one who spoke that reality into it, meaning he's the one who set up the sacraments. He's the one who said, you do this, this will occur. So it is, is, it has been given that, that if you will, the kind of the, this spiritual relation as they're saying, or sacramental union is because God has has ordained that. He has spoken that into the reality of it. Um, So, yeah. Okay. So when it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. What text do we have for that? Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so... This is my blood of the covenant. So there is this, this sign. He was, what, what was he drinking there? Wine. He was drinking wine, mm-hmm. right? And he said, this is, 
the blood of my covenant. Okay. So there is a connection between those two things. He, now was he, did it, when he said that, did it change substance into blood? Were they drinking blood, literal blood there? No. And I know there's, you know, the Catholic church kind of teaches that. Um, we do not teach that. We do not believe in, it's called transubstantiation. Um, but, there's something real there. The, the, I mean, the wine, it looks like blood, doesn't it? It kind of looks like blood, and, it, and, he, and, he's, and he's drinking it. And so there's something, um, the names and the effects of the one are attributed to the other. So there's something, there's a, I mean, they say it there, a spiritual relation, a sacramental union between those two things. Yeah, you can imagine how difficult this was to kind of, how do you put these into words, this mm. spiritual reality in not change it into hey these signs are the as it but it is has something powerful spiritual happening within within it and the reason we have to be careful with these we don't want to make them into a dead ritual that have has no meaning and there's nothing spiritually going on because Mm -hmm. the bible clearly teaches that there's something is real going on in these in these sacraments but we also don't want to become sacramentalists on the other end who think that somehow these are magical events, magical works that we do that can now save people. And so you would say like, like let's say you, you had a newborn baby and the newborn baby was about to die and you're trying to grind up little pieces of bread and little pieces of wine to, to shove it in the baby's mouth in order that the, the baby could be, could be saved. Right or or even having the baby baptized, you know, immediately because you're you're fa- afraid that that she that they the baby might die and and, and go to hell unbaptized. Yeah. That is sacramentalism. That is basically superstition. Mm-hmm. So we want to avoid superstition on the one hand, and we want to avoid just dead tradition, mm-hmm. um, empty signs, yeah. on the other hand. Mm-hmm. And we think the middle of the road here is right here where the Westminster's are and saying there is something real going on. There's a spiritual relation to the elements themselves and the covenant of grace that it's signifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think about when this, that Matthew passage that he just read for us, that Kevin read for us there is, is that Christ hasn't even gone to the cross yet. He hasn't actually shed his blood yet. So there is this, you, you almost get the sense of, you know, there's this distance between the mm-hmm. sign, the, the the wine that's being taken, and actually the reality, which is the shedding of his blood on the cross. And so we have this distance, and yet Christ speaks and says, this is the blood of my, you know, the, of the new covenant here. So as we're taking it. So there is this both and go- going on at the same time. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right, that's Article 1 and Article 2. We've got three more articles and then two more chapters on, these, on the sacraments. So we'll be spending the next several weeks uh, working through this. We hope uh, this was a blessing to you. We hope you learned something, and we hope that this maybe even stirred your affections for Christ and will make your uh, taking of the of the supper and the elements and the, of the sacraments even more meaningful uh, to you on Sunday mornings. Guys, we love you. We're praying for you. God bless. If you've got any questions, email me, Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com, and I would love to get back with you. Talk to you soon. <laughs>